You are listening to the official podcast of First Baptist Church of Cape Girardeau. We are a community of faith, hope, and love located in Southeast Missouri. For more information, visit our website at fbccape.com. This morning I'm reading from Mark, the fourth chapter, verses one through nine. And if you want to follow along on the screen, it may be just a little bit different from my version, but uh, you may follow along on the screen. And I'm reading one through nine of chapter four in Mark. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got in the boat. Then he sat in the boat while the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Another seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted, but quickly because, oh, excuse me, the seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Another seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still, another seed fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted and grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a 100 times as much as had been planted. And then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. This is the word of the Lord. Continuing with the parable in Mark chapter 4, verse 10 through 20. And when he was alone, those who were about him with the twelve asked him concerning the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But to those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn again and be forgiven. So he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word which is sown in them. And these, in like manner, are the ones sown upon rocky ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, 
but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. The others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the delight in riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown upon the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and even a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord. There were two golfers out on the course for their usual Saturday morning game. They were out on the sixth hole when they noticed at a distance a funeral procession slowly making its way down the highway. The older of the two, when he saw the procession, stopped, removed his hat, and bowed his head reverently for a full minute until all the cars had passed. The younger golfer was surprised and humbled by the gesture. Later, as they sat in the golf cart making their way to the seventh hole, he told the older golfer, you know, that was really respectful what you did back there. Most people would have kept playing. That really touched me. The older golfer said, Well, I was married to her for 42 years. I figured it was the least I could do. Sometimes there is much more happening in a story than we think there is, which is exactly the way that parables work in the Gospels. We are continuing through the Gospel of Mark And if you have your GPS guide, you can take that out and notice that we're going to be exploring a few questions around this story in the Gospel of Mark, specifically parables. And how do we read parables? Parables are these teaching stories that Jesus uses throughout the Gospels. And in the Gospel of Mark, they play an especially interesting role. Most people know that Jesus taught in parables, but I think if you ask the average person to define what a parable is, they might have a hard time. They're not easily definable, and that's because they're not easily explained. Parables are a form of art. They are like poetry, and art and poetry are not easily explained. There's a story about the American ballet dancer Isadora Duncan who was asked by a journalist, what did that dance mean? She responded with, if I could tell you what it meant, there would be no point in dancing it. That's how parables work. Now, every sermon on parables that I've ever heard, at least, is all about trying to tell people, this is what the parables mean. And I understand that. I mean, we preachers got to get paid to do something. But can I let you in on a little secret? Nobody knows what these mean. 
oh, we've got inferences and we've got thousands of books and theological libraries and seminaries across the world. But the truth is, is that these stories are so bombastic, so mysterious, so offensive, and so scandalous that they blow past our normal definitions. They move us from prose into poetry. So how do we read a parable? Well, when we read it, we don't try to define it. We don't try to put it in a box and say, see, this is what Jesus really meant. Because if Jesus could have told us what the parable meant, there would be no point in telling it. Instead, we read a parable the same way that we read a poem or view a painting or listen to a song. We receive it. We don't overly dissect it. We receive it with open arms. We let it wash over us. And then we ask ourselves, now, how am I different? Because I've heard that. That is how you read a parable. And I do want to explore this parable of the sower this morning. And and I want you to keep me accountable. Because my job is not to stand up here and unlock the great mysteries of this parable. I can give you some insights on a way how to read it. But it's too mysterious than anything I could say this morning. Instead, let's listen and perhaps something will wash over us. And we may be different as we hear it. But first, I have to tell you about a sandwich. Now, there's all kinds of different sandwiches out there. But there's a special kind that we find in the Gospel of Mark. And it's called a Markin sandwich. And it's made just like what we would consider a sandwich. There's a piece of bread, and there's meat, or PB&J, and then bread. See, this is the amazing stuff you learn in seminary. The reason I bring up a sandwich is because in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to encounter a lot of sandwiches. There are moments in Mark where Mark starts talking about a subject. We might call that thing A. Then he seems to, out of nowhere, talk about a second thing. We might call that thing B. But then he returns to thing A. So you've got thing A, thing B, thing A. And the point is, is that the stories are related. Really quickly, here's an example that we'll see later in Mark. There's a moment where Jesus and the disciples are about to walk into the temple. And this is the story in Mark where Jesus is going to overturn tables and get mad and make a whip and all that fun stuff. But before they walk into the temple, Jesus sees a fig tree. And Mark tells us that Jesus is hungry for figs. But Mark also tells us that it's not the season for figs. And Jesus sees this fig tree and there's no figs on it. And he says, cursed are you, fig tree. It's like, boy, Jesus was cranky that day. Then he goes into the temple, and he clears out the temple, and then when he walks out of the temple, Mark mentions the fig tree again and says that it had shriveled and died. Now, if you just take those fig tree passages out of context, it sure seems like Jesus is kind of a jerk. But instead, the fig tree is related to the temple. Because Mark is trying to tell us that the 
temple was not bearing fruit any longer. That's what I mean by a Markin sandwich. There's thing A, thing B, and then thing A again. And that's exactly what we have in our passage for today. Mark begins by telling us about Jesus' telling of the parable of the sower, thing A. Then Mark talks about the parables in general, thing B. And then he returns us again to the parable of the sower, thing A. So that is a Markin sandwich. And we're going to start by looking at the middle, and looking at the meat. This part starts in verse 10 of our passage. Jesus has just finished telling his parable of the sower, and the disciples take him aside and say, we, uh, we didn't understand that. <laughs> Jesus says, you didn't understand that. That was the first one. You didn't understand the first one? Then Jesus quotes from the prophet Isaiah and says something really odd. He says that he, te- he teaches in parables in order that they may indeed look but not perceive, and may indeed listen but not understand. It almost sounds like that Jesus is saying that he teaches in parables in order that he might be confusing. And that he might be obscuring what he's saying. And that's actually exactly the truth in the Gospel of Mark. Because in Mark, there is a concept called the messianic secret. Jesus wants to keep who he is on the down low. There are numerous times in Mark when Jesus will heal somebody and then say, Now, don't go around blabbing about this to the neighborhood. And then it almost says, and immediately the man went to the village and told everybody what happened. It's like a Baptist church here in the Gospel of Mark. But Jesus wants to keep his ministry secretive in the Gospel of Mark because Jesus is very, very aware that if the Jewish authorities and if the Roman leadership truly understood what he was saying, his ministry wouldn't have lasted two weeks. So he teaches in parables in order to make things a little fuzzy so that the authorities don't totally understand what is happening. A few years ago, I was in Southeast Asia with a group of seminary students, and we were visiting the Myanmar Institute of Theology. And we told all the students that they could put on their resumes that they'd studied at MIT. That one might take a minute. Myanmar is a country where churches are allowed to practice as freely as they wish so long as they do not rock the boat politically. And as we talked about in our first week with the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel is political. So what the government would do is they would send undercover students to attend the seminary classes in order to make sure that these theology professors were behaving themselves. The professor who was telling us about this smiled and said, you can always tell the government agents because they were the students with the best attendance. They were always there. And even though these professors were teaching about liberation 
and salvation and God's kingdom coming into this world, which are political ideas, because it was dressed up in religious language, these government agents had no idea what these people were actually teaching. That's what Jesus means when he says here that he teaches in parables in order to muddy the waters a little bit. That's why Jesus ends his telling of this parable with, like Nathan said, one of his favorite verses. Let anyone with, hear, with ears to hear listen. And whenever you see that in the New Testament, we should go back and read what we just read because what Jesus is saying is, oh snap, you better pay attention. Did he really go there? So for the parable itself, how do we understand the parable of the sower. Now, I don't want to put this parable in a box and define it for you for all time. So instead, I want to give you two different ways of reading this parable. And I think there's truth found in both ways. One way is about being good soil, and the other way is about being good sowers. So what about good soil? Well, most of the time when we read this story, we read it like we're supposed to be the good and fertile soil where the seeds take root, and that's exactly what we should be. That's a metaphor for us being receptive, for uh, that we would be receptive disciples who receive the gospel into our lives and then bear fruit with how we live our lives. But that doesn't happen with everybody. It doesn't happen with all seeds. Some of the seed falls on the beaten path, and the ground is too compact for it to take root, so some birds snatch it up before it can germinate. And Jesus tells us that some people hear the gospel, but they are tempted to think otherwise, and it goes in one ear and out the other. Some of the seed falls on rocky ground, it springs up really quickly, but there's no nutritious, rich soil on a rock face. So as the sun comes up, it withers the plant. And Jesus tells us that there are some people who hear the news of the kingdom of God, and they get all excited about it, but they don't have depth. They don't have a foundation and they don't have that depth of soul so that when they get back to the real world, they find that their commitment hasn't actually taken root anywhere. Some of the seed falls among thorns and thistles. But as the plant comes up, the thorns choke the life out of it. Jesus tells us that some people hear the gospel and, and it does take root, but then they get distracted by their money, or their reputation, or their possessions. And those concerns tear at the shallow roots that have grown. But some seed, some seed, oh boy, some seed falls on fertile, tilled, loose soil. And it takes root. And it doesn't just take root. Look at what Jesus says in verse 8. It produces grain and it yields a 30, 60, 100-fold bountiful harvest. 
That would have been one of the more surprising and controversial statements of this whole story. Because that means that this haphazard way of planting, this sower who seems not to be concerned where the seed lands, somehow produces this miraculous harvest so that even the most careful farmers would pray for this kind of result. Jesus tells us that some people, and hear this, not all people, some people will hear the gospel, and the gospel will take root in their lives, and they will hear it, and they will accept it, and they will bear fruit. What does that mean, to bear fruit? Well, it takes me back to what Paul says in the letter to the Galatians. That the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It also looks like that their lives are not just about believing things, though that's important, but it's also about doing things. James says this in his letter, "'What good is it, my brothers and sisters?' If you say that you have faith but do not have works, can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Pay attention to what Jesus is saying here in this parable. Because we evangelicals especially need to hear this message badly. Jesus is not saying that good soil is when people pray a sinner's prayer and then they have a get-out-of-hell card. He is saying that the gospel takes root at us when our lives, our very character is transformed by the gospel. And the parable is a challenge to those of us who choose to follow Jesus to allow ourselves to become good soil that bears the fruit of the gospel. So that's one way to read the parable. It's a great way to read the parable. But what about how are we supposed to be like the sower? I recently had to plant some grass in my front yard. We had moved some landscaping stones back, and we had a bare patch of dirt on the hillside, so I did what I was supposed to do. I I took a rake, and I, I, I loosened up the dirt, and then I took a bag of grass seed that my dad gave me, and I carefully sifted it over the bare dirt. Then I took that rake and I raked it again and then I planted some more grass seeds. Then I took some wheat straw and I placed it on top and finally I grabbed my water hose and and I made sure that the area had plenty of moisture and lo and behold, about a week later, there was a little layer of fuzzy green sticking out of the straw. But what if instead... I had just opened up my front door with the grass seed and just went and just kind of threw the seed all over the front yard and then just went back in the house and prayed that there would be grass. 
Because we may not realize it, but that's exactly the kind of sower that Jesus is describing here. This guy is a terrible farmer. He's a reckless sower. He's a bad farmer. He's not following the rules of what it means to plant. Everybody knows that the proper and wise way to plant is to guarantee that the seed is going to land on fertile soil. Instead, this guy's just sort of, just kind of spraying seed everywhere, like birdshot. But that's actually part of the point of the story. See, sometimes the parables tell us about people doing ridiculous things. One example is in the Gospel of Luke, the parable of the Good Shepherd. This shepherd leaves 99 perfectly fine, perfectly safe sheep to go find one stupid lamb that wandered away. This guy has no idea what he's doing. But it is the recklessness of the shepherd that is part of the story. And that's what we have here. This farmer... This sower does not play by the rules, and he's not wise by the standards of the world. Maybe, maybe we're supposed to be a little bit like this reckless sower. Instead of constantly overthinking and overplanning everything, maybe we just need to spread the seed of the gospel. Will every seed take root? No. Will everything we do as a church be successful? My Lord, no. But we keep sowing. We keep working. We know the truth of this parable very well. We take the gospel out into the world, and and let's be perfectly honest, we have no idea what we're doing. Some people want to try a new idea in youth ministry, but they are tempted to just duplicate what everyone else is doing. And like the seed that fell on the path, the birds of discouragement and the demons of depression come and snatch those seeds away. Other people get excited about a a new mission opportunity, and so they quickly start planting it, like the seed that quickly springs up from the rocks. But the realities of the world and the cynicism of those around them and the church people who come forward and say, yeah, but how are we going to pay for it? They scorch that enthusiasm away. Then some people in the church want to see the church move in a certain direction and they begin to dream about how that might be possible Just like the seed that is choked by thorns, however, others in the church begin to ask, how are we going to do that? Is that in the budget? How? And it chokes the life out of that new idea and that dream. Yeah, that happens. Maybe that's happened to you. But... But some of those seeds will take root. Some of those seeds will push down into that soil and grow roots that are strong and reliable. 
And it's completely unpredictable. And you know why? Because it's completely out of our control. We don't do the growing. We only do the sowing. We scatter the seeds and then we let what may happen happen because the truth is is it is the Holy Spirit, not us, that's really in charge. Some of the seeds that we will plant as a church, some of the things that we do will produce a harvest that is beyond anything we can imagine. The church opens its doors for the youth to hang out here on Friday nights and play games, and then a teenager comes to accept Jesus Christ because of that. You start volunteering to help teach a children's Sunday school class, and you help plant a seed in the go- of the gospel that will affect generations of a family. We host a local food pantry, and for the first time in their entire lives, some people have an experience with Christians that is positive and not judgmental. You join a weird Baptist church, and you take part in a Sunday school or a community group, and for the first time in your whole life, you encounter people who accept you for who you really are. The church takes a chance and hires a college student who has no idea what he's doing, and he really doesn't do that much for them, but they invest in him. And then one day God calls him to come back and invest in them and to serve as their pastor. Let's be honest. We have no idea what we're doing here. But thank God, we don't have to. You and I, we just need to keep scattering seed. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would mold us and shape us into who you are calling us to be that we would be good soil, fertile, rich, nutritious soil where the gospel can take root in our lives and that we may bear fruit of the kingdom in the way that we treat others, in the way that we treat our families, our communities, in the way that we spread the good news of your love to our neighborhood. Make us into good soil. God, help us also to be reckless sowers. People, a community that scatters the seeds of the kingdom and then leaves it in the hands of the Holy Spirit. How are you calling us to be reckless, to take risk as a community? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.